The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by High Echelon PC, ITO Coaching Your Performance, Elemental Altitude Training Center, and Blue Pineapple Travel. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls and a C- CPA. 
And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm an engineer, the father to three teenagers, and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. I am glad to be with you. I have not been with y'all in a little while. I feel like we interviewed Crystal and we did, like, it's been just been a long time since the three of us have gotten together to talk about what's going on in our lives. Uh, good to see you, Eric. Good to see you, Michelle. Yes, because we never exchange text messages about what's going on in our lives. <laughs> I was going to say, Michelle gives me this look when I say this to say, as if you don't know what's happening in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> Point well, taken. I think yesterday I messaged the two of you and I said, I think we do a podcast, don't we? <laughs> kind of. So we want we to, we do, we do, we definitely do. And and there's been stuff happening and definitely things we want to talk about here. And we definitely missed the boat on a couple of things, but, uh, but we have a few things we're going to discuss and believe it or not, we are actually going to talk about the book of the quarter fit nation by Natalie Petrozella, um, which was our book of the quarter for Q1 of 2023 <laughs> which ended about two months ago <laughs> at what point at what point in the podcast are we going to get into the book because i don't want to go down some rabbit hole right now point taken yeah no we're going to talk about a few other things first and and honestly we'll have to see how long our conversation is about the book because the whole reason why we put it off for as long as we did is because uh, it just didn't really move any of the three of us, I would say. Um, but uh, we can talk more about that here in just a few minutes. Uh, it's the last day of school for my sons. Uh, is it the last day of school in Raleigh, North Carolina, Eric? I have no idea. My kids are in college. <laughs> Since you have kids in college now, you've lost track of what's happening in the public school system? I just don't care. <laughs> That's fair. Michelle, you, your kids already had their last day, didn't they? No, my kids are in three different schools uh, none of which are public. So they're actually in school for another few weeks. They do have a long weekend this weekend. Um, okay. uh, the big kids are kind of preparing for finals. Somehow my middle daughter talked me into flying her to New York to visit a friend for the weekend. Um, so okay. I bought a plane ticket on Tuesday and shipped her off on Wednesday night, which is a first for me, a 24 hour uh, plane ticket purchase. So uh, yeah, it's good. It's a long weekend for them, but we do still have to wake up and go to school in the morning. Um, my eight-year-old decided last week that she was just done with homework for the year. Um, so that's <laughs> that's been interesting because <laughs> she still has regular school. So, you know. You can, you can tell her I'm done with homework too. Mm, yeah, right, I know. Right. Yeah, she is she, my favorite of your three. I want to, she is my I favorite. I know, it's, it's hard. She's definitely, uh, yeah. <laughs> She's the easiest to get along with for sure. Oh, for sure. She's yeah. been on the podcast more than the other ones too. So that's right. Yeah. That's right. Very good. Yeah. Okay. So I, I knew that you had, you had uh, dropped off one of your daughters at the airport and they were going out of town and I was under a mistaken impression that that meant they were going to be out of town for a little while, but no, of course it's Memorial day weekend, which means they have a three day weekend. And so, yeah, uh, I'm actually forcing nice her to yeah, I actually bought her a return ticket for Friday evening and she was for Sunday evening and she was pretty upset because she has Monday off school. But if I let her stay there four nights, she's not going to sleep for four nights and then she's going to I need her to come home and just recover for a day and have sure. a good night of sleep. So my, but it my is son's so easier without her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even even the easy kids, just when you take away one, um, you change the dynamic. So. Absolutely. It's incredible. <laughs> Absolutely. My my sons, as they were leaving this morning for their last day in third grade, said, can we stay up late tonight? And I said, <laughs> Absolutely. 
You can definitely stay up late tonight. Uh, my wife is out of town. She's been in Chicago all week. She won't be back until tomorrow afternoon. I was like, you can definitely stay up late tonight. I have no idea what we're going to do tonight as we stay up late. <laughs> um, and I am certain that the younger one, uh, the one that is one minute younger, is going to fade right around nine o'clock. And we'll decide that this whole staying up late thing is not worth it. Um, but we'll see. I was going to say, what does the younger mean? So a whole um, minute, huh? A whole minute. A whole <laughs> minute. Yeah. I would say we are having such incredible weather for this time of year. You should do something outside with them. So fair. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's a uh, sort of sidewalky type trail thing here in Marietta, where I actually live outside of Atlanta, in Metro Atlanta, um, where every year they have an art competition and the winners of the art competition, they make prints of their art and they put them along the trail. Um, it's That's called cool. the, uh, it's called the mountain to river trail and the mountains referring to Kennesaw mountain where all three of us have run a whole lot of times. Uh, and the river is referring to Chattahoochee river. The trail, by the way, doesn't go all the way to the river just yet, but they're working on it supposedly. Um, anyway, that's crazy. Anyway, along the trail, they, they've put up probably 150 pieces of art, prints of different arts, be they photographs or drawings or various other things that people have made. Um, and I think that, that sometime this weekend, we're probably going to go out there and just kind of check them out. Um, I ran past a whole bunch of them yesterday, but you don't really get to see them all that well when you're running past them. Um, and so so I do want to go back with them. Uh, they both really love art as well. Uh the younger one, as a matter of fact, is very much into into art and he's very much an artist himself. And so I think that we'll probably go back and check them out and they'll tell me which ones are their favorites. So that should be fun. That should be fun. Um, so and then, so this, this, this reminds me of something. Um, I think um, we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but my daughter is currently living in Chapel Hill. Uh, yeah, I know. She's taking a <laughs> summer class at Duke and she has a friend that lives in a house um, in Chapel Hill. So she's staying with that friend in Chapel Hill rather than staying on campus at Duke and so many positive aspects of this. But one of the interesting things was she doesn't know anywhere to run in Chapel Hill. So I've made a couple of trips out there. I've done a little bit of running out there. And what I noticed was they have a greenway out there, uh, the Bowling Creek Trail. And I'm running along the Bowling Creek Trail. And I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but the greenways up here are very specific um, and they're in specific locations and they're usually along creeks okay. and they're usually paved mm -hmm. and they're not there just for runners, bikers and walkers. They're actually there to help the, um, the county or city staff get to all of the sewer standpipes, the sewer manhole standpipes. Okay. So you have these giant concrete structures, um, the sewer structures along the trail and in raleigh they started painting in the area that we're in they started painting uh butterflies on them so i don't know if there's kids or people they go out there and they paint the different types of butterflies which is kind of cool you've got that's this, lovely yes this rather ugly thing yeah. um and then in another place in raleigh that's down by nc state they were doing like the letters of the alphabet but they were doing them in like these really cool almost like uh street art or um you know uh, graffiti style it was mm -hmm. it was really cool and and in that's Chapel good Hill, yeah, that'll help the cool. that'll help the nc state people actually learn the alphabet <laughs> <laughs> that's good 
Just kidding. Yes. Just kidding. I'm they a Caitlin Tui fan. Yeah, she doesn't need to learn how to run, but she does need to learn how to spell. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know that. She's that like a scholar athlete, guys. I am that certain mean, that, that she means is. you get. I, I love I Caitlin Tui. She can do no wrong in my mind. No, I am a fan. Um, so, keep going. but but in Chapel Hill, they're they're doing the the leaves of the different trees, and I thought that was kind of cool. So it's like right. maple and spruce and. Um, I, I just thought that was kind of cool. So you're, the trail art that you're talking about, that's mm -hmm. how we're beautifying these rather ugly concrete structures. Up oh, here I think North, that's great. North Carolina. I'm yeah. a fan. I think that's fantastic. Um, public art and, and investing in beautifying public spaces, that is money well spent, in my opinion. Um, I, I, I love that I live in a town that puts art on, on the trails. I think it's super cool. Um, I, it's It not only makes me feel better about where I live, um, I'm a big believer that your physical environment very much influences your your mental well-being. Um, but I'm also uh, appreciative of the influence it has on my children. Um, like I just said a minute ago, my sons actually really like making art. Um, they've been to art camp the past several years. Um, and for them to see other art that's kind of posted, it, it shows them that art is valuable and it's worthwhile and it's, it's something that, that they should be spending their time doing and that's okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think that's great. I think that's super cool. Maybe we should take a road trip to Raleigh this weekend. I thought you would want to go to Chapel Hill. I definitely do not want to go to Chapel Hill. Um, I would not recommend making a seven hour trip to see art that's painted on sewer standpipes. Oh, it's, but it's it sounds so unique. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> you just advertise yourself now. I'm going mean... to take, take some pictures. <laughs> okay. There you go. Pictures. That pictures would be nice. I appreciate that. Um, uh, very good. Very good. Um, speaking of public art. Yeah, this is not a segue at all. Um, did y'all uh, see what Candace Burt accomplished over the course of the past few days here? Candace Burt, um, uh, between November 5th and May 23rd, uh, that's 200 days, November 5th of last year and May 23rd, just a few days ago, 200 days ran 32 miles a day, every single day for 200 days in a row. Of course, to do the quick math, that's 6,400 miles uh, that she ran over the course of a little bit over six months. Um, and, uh, and then the very next day after that, on the 201st day, she merely ran a marathon. Um, Michelle, didn't you say you were following her at the outset? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us, I just remember when she got to like maybe day 36, it was just like, oh my gosh, she is crazy. I mean, she's, she's well known in the ultra world. She's, uh, like a race director. She puts on, you know, like 200 mile stuff. I mean, she's, she's got a, a great, you know, whatever, a running race director resume. I mean, she's very involved, but she decided, and it was like, I think that the weird thing was um, everybody sort of did these streaks in the pandemic and it was so much more normal. Mm -hmm. So I think that what drew my attention and maybe a lot of other people's attention was like, okay, well, we're out of the pandemic and everything is going back to normal. So like, why now? Um, but she started out wanting to basically break a record, um, which was it like 23 ultras in a row or something? I don't know. It was, it was almost nothing. No, it was, it was 11. Okay. Um, and so, so on, 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 on her blog, on her, so so she wrote on her blog, um, and so one of the funny things is like so much of the stuff that you find when you look up from her is like three months old. It's like she's been running for a hundred days. Da, da, da. And so on her blog on Friday, January sixth, she uh, was marking day sixty three 
Yeah, I was going to say that's like two months in or something. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, she went on for another 140 days almost after that. Uh, but so in her blog, she put the current verified record is now 11 days held by Katie Spots as of the day of the writing. Um, as the 22 record, uh, 22 day record that was in place when I began was changed mid attempt to a oh, okay. binary record. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so um, she, you know, she surpassed both those records in November and she was writing this in January and then she ran for another three months. Right. So 23, 22, I, I had something in, in the range of what was correct, but yeah, so she basically ran, um, she picked the 50 K distance, which I think is interesting. Um, I probably, if I was trying to run an ultra for however many, you know, days until infinity in a row, I probably <laughs> would have like capped it at the 27 mile mark just and yeah. gone with the theory that anything above a marathon is considered an ultra, mm -hmm. but she actually went, um, 50 K plus a few more tents and ran mm -hmm. 32 miles. Um, she never wanted there to be, you know, any type of like GPS inaccuracies or questions. And she ended up doing this for the last 200 days in a row. Um, so when she finished this like a day or two ago and, all the videos of her started circulating again and it was day 200 i was like oh i kind of forgot about her like 150 days ago <laughs> like i don't know if she just wanted to um I, I don't know like i guess i'm curious at least my group of friends who follow kind of running and ultra running and stuff like we haven't spoken about her in months mm -hmm. so I, I just wonder like did she keep everybody's attention for 200 days like she did you know in the first like 30 40 50 days um, or was she really out there just for 200 days? I don't know, man, 32 miles a day for 200 days. Like, I wonder if she'll ever run again. I wonder if she even likes running still. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she, she has run since then. She, on the 24th, she ran, like I said, she ran a marathon on the 24th, right? Um, she, she finished. Said, a, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't she get said it. <laughs> it took her five to seven hours worth of running every day, basically is what she did. Um, so this, this effectively became like that's a real job. running. That's yeah. not like, yeah. And she lives in Colorado. And so, so she was having to deal with snow and freezing temperatures, like well below freezing temperatures, like negative 15 temperatures on a couple of occasions. Um, um, they took a, a, a vacation at one point down to Arizona and she had to keep it going there. At one point they flew over to Hawaii and she had to keep it going there. And so, so yeah, five to seven hours, Eric, what do you think? Is this now on your bucket list? Are you going to break this record, Eric? No, we we would pay attention to you, Eric, at day one hundred fifty. Well, you know, <laughs> as we as we discussed on our Blue Ridge Relay team thread, I could never do this mm. because I would have to find <laughs> someone else to do all the social media for it to <laughs> prove that I actually did it because I don't participate in social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Er, er, Michelle er, might do that though. So I would so, do that for you. I was going to say, that's very nice of you, Michelle. Um, I know. So, so may, maybe this will be, I, uh, we, we've talked about having like another uh, another race next year that that all of us can do together the way that we did Mountain Mist. Maybe rather than having another race next year, we all do together. We'll all just work together to get Eric to do 200 straight 50Ks. <laughs> or actually yeah. 201 straight 50Ks. 201. Yeah, I have to break the record. <laughs> yeah, that would be a real shame if you only ran 200. <laughs> So oh. I did have a question for Michelle on this. Oh, gosh. So I've been pouring over the pictures and I'm thinking if you're going to do 250 K's plus a mile, almost a mile over 200 days, what kind of shoes do you wear? Oh, that's great. I actually don't know what she runs in. So I, I have one picture of her wearing a pair of black Nikes. I'm pretty sure they're of the Vapor series, but I'm not good enough to tell because I'm not a big Nike fan. Hmm. 
Um, another one actually looks like, like a DV8 Nitro Elite. Yeah. So on um, like she has a picture on day 162 and she's for sure wearing Nikes. Um but the black ones. Yeah. yeah I, I I see the black ones with the with the green swoosh on them. Yep. yep. On day 134, she had a different pair of Nikes on. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I mean, oh, there's. There, do you guys a, like her sunglasses? <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, I, I was gonna all. say do I was I was distracted by her ridiculous wraparound sunglasses <laughs> um, that she was wearing there. Uh, she's wearing a pair of, the, of, of shoes at one point that look similar to uh, to the Boston's that you wear, the bright yellow Boston's that you wear. I think those are DB8 Nitros. Um, all right. What so. day is that? On day seventy-five, she has on Nikes. I mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what day it is. I'm just looking at it from her blog here. But yeah, no, that would be a that would be a good question for us to send her a tweet about. Um, I'll do that since uh, since Eric is so adamantly against social media. <laughs> you know, so, it's interesting. So, so much so that he would have to have one of us document his record attempt. <laughs> a lot of her shoes are in almost all of her posts, her shoes are cut off. And I do wonder if that's hmm. a bit strategic. I don't know. You can Maybe. see the branding on the sunglasses. You can see the Solomon vest, but mm -hmm. you can almost never see the shoes. It could also just be that when you're doing this all via selfie mode while mm -hmm. you're running, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just too hard to get the full body picture, but who knows? True, true. And I mean, if if she, she mentioned in her blog and other places where she's written that she rarely gets injured, right? Um, that, that that's a big part of it is that her body is resilient um, and that, that she's not someone who's ever really suffered running injuries. Um, one of the reasons why she might not suffer a whole lot of running injuries, even if she's running 250 Ks plus a mile in a row um, is, is that she alternates shoes. Um, rotating shoes, as I will always remind my wife, whenever she complains about me buying another pair um, serves to lower injury rates. So, um, <laughs> it's true. It's, yeah, it's it does, significantly it lower. You need it doesn't mean that you need the number of shoes that you so, have. But I I do like the. Uh, is, is is that not how it works? Like if you if you lower it by rotating shoes, but you lower it even further by rotating even more shoes. <laughs> I think there's a yeah exactly how it works. I actually um, just cleaned out my shoe rotation, so I'm due for you know. Uh, I have to shoes. update my, yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, I, I haven't had a solid conversation about shoes and buying shoes and all that sort of thing over the course of the past two months. And it's because we haven't gotten together on this podcast enough. Um, <laughs> Crystal Andrews, for as fantastic as she was to talk to us about the Antarctica Marathon, didn't really have a whole lot to say about shoes. She also like, no offense, but she just wears Brooks, the same shoe over and over. And it's really well, boring. She she will <laughs> she will often sometimes uh she will wear uh like novelty brooks too. Sure. Um, yeah. And so so on several That's occasions fun. I have over the course of the past several years, I have sent her like, oh, look at these Christmassy brooks. Yeah. She, Christmas, July 4th, like Dunkin' Donuts. She's got yeah, all yeah. of those. Um yeah, so that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So those are the shoes that she rotates. She rotates the theme rather than the model. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> um, very good. Very good. Um, uh, yeah, I was super impressed by her. Um, uh, Eric is a subscriber to the Wall Street Journal. Um, and so he had pointed out to us that there was an article about about Candace Burt in the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, and we all read it, of course. And and the author, I thought, was kind of terrible, even though the article was was a decent article. Um, he he kind of covered all the bases. He asked her why it is that she did it. And she didn't really have a very well articulated why. Um, uh, he talked about the obstacles she faced along the way. 
Um, he talked about what she ate and drank throughout, like all the major questions somebody would have. But then he threw in on more than one occasion these sort of casual references to how he's a runner too. Oh, no, he's not. The only running he ever does is the 45 feet into the kitchen if his cat knocks something over uh, and stuff like that. And so, so the whole article had this sort of, to me at least, this feel of kind of making fun of her. And I didn't really appreciate that. <laughs> um, hmm. And I'm not sure where he was coming from with that, but maybe I'm just being hypersensitive. What'd y'all think? I, I, I think it comes down to what I've always said about ultra running. It is stupid mm-hmm. with two O's, S-T-O-O-P-I-D. And everybody external to doing it makes fun of it. Mm-hmm. And those of us who do it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of expected. So I wasn't, I wasn't put off by that at all. Okay. I wear that like a badge of honor. Okay. And that's good. I mean, I, I, I'm hypersensitive to that sort of thing, um, particularly at this moment in my life, but I have been over the course of the past uh, several decades, even uh, just because I want to be appreciated and respected for the hard work and, and achievements that I've had. Um, even if they're in something that you don't do. <laughs> I can laugh but, at you like, and respect you at the same time, George. Uh, yeah. So, Well, you but can. She got a write up in the wall street journal. I mean, that, I, I agree the author wasn't great, but like Wall Street Journal is some pretty good stuff. So the Wall Street Journal also had a recent article that Eric shared with us oh God. about uh, essentially the large sums of money that various people are paying in order to go on ultra running vacations um, and that sort of thing. Um, and it's specifically focused or it uses its entry point to the story, uh, an $11,000 ultra marathon in which you run like 30 miles a day over the course of four or five days in the mountains in Europe. But of course, when you finish, you have this gourmet food, you have a massage therapist who looks out for you. Uh, you're staying in really high end lodging um, uh, and things like that. Now, you still have to do the running yourself. Um, you know, you still have to run up and down mountains and, and, uh, through briars and 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 deal with the elements on your own, um, but all the accoutrements are are lovely, um, and and Eric didn't much like that. I personally think it sounds fantastic, and I'm saving same, my same. money for an eleven thousand dollar trip to Europe in order to to, to run. But um, Eric, what was your takeaway from that? Look, if you do that, if you spend $11,000 on a a trip like that, more power to you. But I will make fun of you and not respect (laughs) you while I'm making fun of you for that. You'll make fun of me anyway. I mean, the thing is, and and is that, I mean, my family of four has spent $11,000 on a vacation before. Um, And so to me, the idea of, of, of spending thousands of dollars in order to go someplace and and experience something incredible and life-changing to me that doesn't feel like too much money it's a lot of money for sure uh, but it doesn't feel like too much it sounds kind of fantastic actually that you could go on vacation and and while you're there you would run 30 miles a day for a week i mean it sounds kind of awesome actually i think you can do that without spending eleven thousand dollars though i think you can i agree i think that's that's my point i think my practical side kicked in and i said hmm I can either do that running without spending $11,000, or I can even do that running in a similar, maybe not the same location, certainly not with all the accoutrements. Mm-hmm. I can't even say that word correctly because it's you got it right. cost, the, the word cost too much, <laughs> um, but for significantly less than $11,000. So. so perhaps, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I, I wrote to y'all when we were talking about it, that, that um, before our sons were born, my wife and I used to go on these traincations 
right? And we went to Fort Lauderdale, Florida on a couple of occasions. And we went to Asheville, uh, North Carolina on a few occasions. Um, and we spent our entire days, and this would always be like around the holidays and stuff like that. So we, we were out of work. Um, and we'd, we'd go on these vacations and we'd ride our bikes like hundreds of miles in the mountains and see all these really incredible things. And then we'd drink beer at breweries at night and we would, we would, uh, have, uh, all these really great meals along the way. And it was, it was super fun and fantastic to me. This just kind of feels like the same thing that, that you're doing something related to your passion, um, to endurance sports. Um, and you're doing it in a way that that also enables you to to eat good food and stay in nice hotels and and see beautiful places. To me, it feels the same. Michelle, what do you I, think? I I have no problem um, with somebody who has that you know amount of disposable income spending it on a trip like this. I will say that um, you know I like I I talk a lot about um, going to Patagonia, but also there is a lot to be said about um, running the UTMB course, but like not as part of the UTMB race. And there's tons of blogs out there of people who, you know, you can, we basically figured that you could probably do that on between like 80 and $130 a day with the way the Euro is right now, because you stay in a hostel, you get your food from bakeries. It's almost like the cheap version of, of what this Wall Street Journal article was doing. You run the beautiful trails. You can run the UTMB course. Um, you can stay in places. You can do your laundry. You know, nobody's kind of like catering to you. But there is, um, I think for every, you know, trip out there that costs $11,000, there's probably a way, like Eric said, a much, you know, a more practical, uh, cheaper, more mm -hmm. kind of self-supported way to do sure. it also. Um, sure. So, but I mean, I, I hope that someday... I mean, I don't know. I guess if you'd like to travel and you have the funds to do it, I can see how that might not be um, like the most radical amount of money that you could spend at that, all. That, that's, <laughs> that's the other thing too, is that, that yeah, I, I wouldn't spend $11,000 to do it. Um, but would I spend $1,000? Yeah, I would. Um, uh, you know, our friends uh, up at Zap Endurance in, in uh, North Carolina, in Western North Carolina, they have running camps. Uh, for adults. And I've thought about going to one of their running camps in the past, because I think it'd be fun to be spend a week running and training and gourmet food is part of what they offer is that they have like a really good chef there. Um, and talking about running and attending lectures and designing training plans, and just being with like other runners who are stupid the way that you're stupid. Like that, that, <laughs> that appeals, man. Um, I think it sounds kind of great. Um so, so yeah, I wouldn't spend $11,000 on it because that's too significant a chunk of my college professor's salary. Um, like that's, sure. you know, I'm not, that, that, that's a, that's a massive amount of money for me personally. But if I made literally 10 times the amount of money that I make, I wouldn't think twice. Um, and so I, I mentioned the practical aspect. The other aspect is this, and we, we've talked about this previously and we've talked about this in the, um, actually this, the article that we were reading today that you sent to us, George, from Women's Health Magazine, mm -hmm. um, talk, touched on this, but I'm gonna take it to ultra running in specific. The simplicity of ultra running in the sense of, you're just out there, you versus the world. Everybody's generally nice, funny, or they kind of keep to themselves. It's very family oriented. You're, you're not that funny. I think I'm ignoring, <laughs> I've got you on ignore, 
I think that much like these small Colorado towns that are getting overrun with dollars to where people can't live in them anymore, I think I don't want that to happen to the ultra running scene to where it becomes about, do you have enough money to run these races? Do you have mm -hmm. enough money to go on these experiences? And there's so many things that are going down that path. And I'm fortunate. I get it. I'm very fortunate for what I can do, uh, what we can afford. Um, but I feel like some of these things can get out of the, out of the realm of what the general runner can do. And yeah. that's, I, whenever I see something like this, I go all the, you know, I, I think about it too far probably, but you know, land values in some of these small Colorado mountain towns are going through the roost to where people can't live in them anymore. Mm -hmm. And the people that are buying the houses don't live there. They just live there when they want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, no. And, and, and I think that's actually an important point as well. That, that, I, I, you've heard me say many times on this podcast before that, that I, I believe in a big tent for, for distance running and, and whatever sort of event you want to do and whatever reason you have for doing it, I am here for it. I think it's great, right? If you want to do soap runs, fantastic. You want to do color runs, fantastic. Tough mutters and, and Spartans and all that sort of thing. I don't want to do any of that. But but if you want to do that and it gets you off the couch and gets you moving and gets you involved in the world of endurance sports, fan frickin' tastic. And so so I think part of it to me is, hey, if this is the way you want to do it um, and, and you have the money to do that, then then I more power to you. And so 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 that's kind of part of it. That being said, I hear what you say about it. Like if, in fact, the eleven thousand dollar European ultra running experience were to drag all ultra marathons like into a higher price bracket. I just don't see that, that becoming be, that, the baseline. That, that would be problematic. I agree, but I don't see yeah. that happening either. Um, what I do see, feel like I see happening, and, and, I, and I think that Michelle disagrees with me on this, is I do see people who consider themselves to be trail and ultra purists going in the other direction um, and saying, well, we're going to make it only $30 but we're not going to give you a map and we're not going to get a license and we're not going to stop cars from crossing the course. Um, and, and we're not going to provide any sort of support along the way. And it's going to be epic and better. Um, I do feel like I see that in the trail and ultra world. And of course the epitome of that is the Barkley marathons. Um, and, and to me, I think that's actually worse because I think mm -hmm. that's unsafe. Um, and I think it's irresponsible race directors act, to act that way. And so I, I would far rather see somebody spending $11,000 and a race director creating this huge, expensive, curated experience than a race director just being like, oh, yeah, here's a course. Go run it. And if you die along the way, well, that sucks. It sure was epic, though, right? Like, OK, uh, I just I think we need to differentiate between like a race and a luxury vacation, so to speak. Hmm. I don't I think I don't. I think you guys are kind of merging. You've got the race realm where the mountain ultra trail, all of those, everything is exploding, right? You've got Ironman taking over UTMB and all of that series. You've got sky running, trying to, you know, make a comeback, especially in North America. You've got the sub ultra world, right? So people that don't want to run a hundred miles, but they're not going to run short as a road marathon exploding. But then you have like, the luxury vacations for people that want to spend their time vacationing, being pampered after ultra running. I don't think, I think that's just like a totally separate category. Uh, show me a race. That's like an $11,000 entry or anything close. Mm -hmm. Like 
what is marathon to Sablet? Like, what does that cost? That's a six day race. I don't think it's anywhere near eleven thousand um, dollars. So I'm I don't sure, I don't sure know that right. that's going to cross. Is, but I'm sure you're right. I think we're talking about two separate things. As I say that, that's a good point. I mean, I guess I think about because I spend so much time. I mean, not so much time, but I spend I spend the most time I spend around other endurance athletes, around triathletes, and I would say something like a trip to Kona probably does cost that much, right? To race yeah. Ironman Kona by the time you factor in all of your gear and getting your stuff there. Um, but I don't think and, and qualifying. the ultra running, yeah, and qualifying, sure. Um, but I don't think in terms of ultra running, I think this $11,000 trip that the Wall Street Journal wrote about is is a different category than, you know, being worried that um, people that want to compete in the sport, that that's going to, you know, that that's going to be like the baseline. It's going to be so expensive. That I think, I think, I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point, but I still do think though, that, that there are race directors, people actually putting on races that see the $11,000 ultra running experience and, and they run in the other direction, metaphorically run in the other direction. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they say, they say, we're going to make this as scaled down and as simple as we possibly can. And that's going to be a better race. And I think that in the process of doing that, they make the races unsafe. But you're talking so. about like 1% of the races out there probably right now. But it's a growing number that 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 are in oh response gosh. to these expensive ultra experiences, I believe. Um, and you're right. I could be totally wrong about that. There are a lot of really good responsible race directors out there. We've had some of them come on this podcast before. Um, and and I appreciate those race directors that do a good job. But the race director that everybody holds up inside the trail and ultra community as the all time greatest is one of these guys. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> And the next topic is. (laughs) (laughs) And the next topic is the book of the quarter. Um, Oh, gosh. uh, So let's talk about Fit Nation here um, by Natalia uh, Petrozella. Um, uh, We have talked about this book a few times. We've reminded everybody to read it. Natalia Melman Petrozella is her name. Uh, Fit Nation, the Gains and Pains of America's Exercise Obsession. Um, I guess the place to start is just with kind of overall impressions here. Michelle, we'll start with you. What'd you think? Um, I mean, to be honest, I didn't finish the book. So I liked the introduction and I was excited for what I thought the book was going to be about. And I had a hard time getting past the third chapter. So I'm probably uh, not the person to, to give much critical or helpful feedback on the book. But I would say that (laughs) we've read bad books and I've definitely, you know, been inclined um, and you guys have had to read books that you didn't like because I chose them and you saw the books through to the finish. And I could not do that with this one. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. And then Eric, I want to get your overall impression too into here in just a minute. But you said that you read the introduction, you liked the introduction, but then it lost your interest after a few chapters. Like, like, Kind of talk us through that. What was it the introduction that you really liked and then what happened? I mean, you do a much better job at summarizing the differential between what we thought the book was going to be about and what it was actually about than I do. Well, and, um, and that's so one of the reasons why I'm asking back that. to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm asking because I actually had a similar experience. I did finish the book, um, but but when I read the introduction, what I thought the central argument of the book was going to be, which I was excited to read about, and I was excited to watch her build, she literally never came back to it. No, um, I know. Um, and, and 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 that was frustrating to me. Um, and that central argument for what it's worth, and this is not a spoiler in any sort of way, even though that's not something we usually worry about when we're actually reviewing books here. Um, the central notion is the idea 
um, that that uh, we have over the course of the past hundred years, basically in the United States, uh, sold being healthy and and exercising and being active. Um, we have basically convinced Americans that's something that they all need to do, and that's something that's good for our country, it's good for our society, it's good for our communities. If in fact everybody is involved in in fitness endeavors, but yet we don't make a whole lot of public investments to ensure that it happens. And so while we, on the one hand, say that everybody needs to do it, we actually privatize the process. And so, George, you need to make sure that you eat well and you stay in shape. So go off and do that. Um, there's not a coordinated public effort or a coordinated public invest investment in actually making sure that that happens. Um, and I thought that she was going to say, okay, and this is why. Um, and, and she didn't instead, she just kind of traced the history of, of the fitness industry, uh, in much the same way that Danielle did, um, in let's get physical. Uh, so how does an author come up with like a thesis of a book, never actually get back to the thesis and the book still gets like an editor and it still gets published. Like because, how did this book even make it to press? Cause because the that wasn't her because th evidently that wasn't her thesis. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hear you on that. Because evidently that wasn't her thesis. Uh, and I think it's interesting that it stood out to both you and me, and it was enlivening to both you and me in the introduction. And we both thought that was a central thesis of the book, and evidently it was not. I think the central thesis of the book was ultimately the same thing that was one of the central theses of Danielle's book. Yeah. Um, and, and that was that um, our ideas about fitness are not straightforward, that they're all gummed up with our ideas about gender and beauty standards and capitalism and consumerism and, and all sorts of other things like that. Like it's, it's, it's never as straightforward as, oh, you want to better yourself and, and get in shape? Go do it. Um, and it's never been that way. Um, and so I think that was ultimately the primary thesis of the book. Um, and, and that I think she, she did an okay job of, <laughs> not a great job, but it did an okay job of, um, Eric, what'd you think? I think the book's very long. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that long though. It's shorter than let's get physical. It's shorter than most of the books we've read. It doesn't seem like it. <laughs> um, I have. You know, I, I made a I made a statement in the beginning of the year that I'm going to work really hard to read the books of the quarter during the quarter that we're reading them. I, I haven't finished it, but I've decided I am going to finish it. Mm -hmm. And so my overall opinion was really uh, bad early in the book. And I, I drew this little graph to to mm -hmm. show like how this worked. And like if you started a graph at like zero, usually my interest level peaks early in the book mm -hmm. and then kind of flattens out and then maybe goes up as the book goes on but it doesn't generally drop below the zero line and this mm -hmm. book i went so far below the zero line because <laughs> I, I started texting you guys all the words can we see the graph I, yeah no uh, i'll I, I drew it and then i marked it up but i'll, I'll draw it again here kind of looks like that <laughs> hey uh, but it goes up at the end that's good yeah, I did. I did finally cross back into the green territory or the above zero territory. But mm. no, I, I started texting you guys early. Yeah, I, I like words. Mm -hmm. And when I see a new word, I like I'll look it up. And you know, I'm kind of excited about it. I think in the first like 10 pages, 15 pages of the book, there was like these six words that I had never heard before. And I got this feeling that this person was writing a textbook. And mm -hmm. they were, 
it was like they were intentionally making me feel like I did not know as much as they did by using these words that could have been simplified. You know, they, they could have used a much more appropriate word or whatever. And then, and then. Yeah, I, I remember, I remember specifically you, uh, you mentioned the word pion. Yeah. Like, like, um, which is, it's basically like a song of praise from ancient Greece. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, what is this? But, but. The other thing was the book never picked up speed. It, it mm -hmm. really just, it read like a textbook. You know, a yeah. textbook's not trying to grab your interest. Well, the ones that we, I don't know if newer textbooks are better than that, but the ones that we read, especially not in engineering. I was just saying engineering, kind of like, no. <laughs> you're just presenting information. And yeah. there was no like, there was no denouement. There was no like, you know, climax or anything. It was just like, here it is. And this is the stuff. Mm. There was, there was, And like you guys just said, I never felt like there was any, and here was the effect of that, mm -hmm. or here was the result of that. Mm -hmm. And so it really drug on for a while early on. And, mm -hmm. but I did, I'll be honest with you, what, so like my, my enthusiasm about the book was tanking, but my interest in some of these things was really peaked. Like I didn't really understand the history behind the JFK 50 miler. Mm -hmm. I read about that and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that was part of the presidential yeah. fitness campaign. Yeah. I remember doing that when I was in yeah. elementary school, you know, right. and I was like, oh, so that's how that I could, oh, and that all lead, that, that that's why it's called to, the JFK 50 miler. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that all went back to um, basically us saying our country is so out of shape that we cannot put together a fighting force if we mm -hmm. were to have a war, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like I, I knew these bits and pieces. I had never seen them all pulled together like that. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't think they were gonna be pulled together in this purple clad book about you know, the <laughs> fitness of our nation and all that. Mm -hmm. And and sitting right next to the history of jazzercise and mm -hmm. aerobics and all this stuff. And I was like, mm -hmm. so, but that's where, when I, that's what kept me coming back to the trough, so to say, mm -hmm. like, okay, mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to read this, but I'm going to, I'm going to start reading it. And I would, I'd probably get, you know, a good 10, 15 pages and then it'd be like, okay, I got to put it back down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it never really grabbed me. So um, I'm now on a part of the book that I, I think is really interesting because it's a little more relatable. It's mm -hmm. things that I understand more about and I'm getting sort of like the details. It's mm -hmm. still not, it's not a page turner. <laughs> yeah, it's it sounds almost like it sounds almost like your experience of reading it was that you were sort of slogging through it, waiting for one of those pearls. I used that exact phrase that I am slogging oh, yeah? through this book multiple yeah. times with my wife. Yeah. yeah. So. Um and, and and I've definitely had that experience with with books of of all sorts, is that you're just like, okay, and, and books are just kind of dragging on, but then you see something about the JFK fifty, or they mention the the uh, the genesis of the presidential fitness, physical fitness exam or something yeah. else like that. And you're like, oh, or they share some ideas or some reflections on on how social media and wearables have have influenced our notions of fitness and, and what a fit person is. And in, in, and in some ways, how it has created more online communities. But then in other ways, it is also like uh, reified a lot of these old beauty standards like a lot of that stuff is super interesting, right? But in order to find that one little jewel, that one little thing, you had you to- You gotta go really... through 50 pages. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, so I, 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 and I think that, that this book kind of fell into that category a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it was, I, I wrote that in my notes that it, it was, it was very similar. I mean, literally a lot of the stuff, like the people 
were the same people that Danielle talked about in her mm-hmm. book, yeah. right? Um, uh, like Jane Fonda um, and, and Jack Lalonde and people like that. Um, um, a lot of the people were the exact same people. A lot of the history was the exact same history, but you had it written by an academic versus written by a journalist. And I think the journalist captured. Yeah, your no surprise. The journalist. To read. <laughs> yeah, the journalist told a better story. Right. right. Um, and and whereas the academic um, uh, used words that that might have might might have been a little highfalutin um, and and I think in a lot of ways uh, took it for granted that the audience bought into some of the basic arguments um, or the audience even knew the basic arguments. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, and it took me half the book to realize this. Um, because was a- after I, because she, she was talking about sexism and she was talking about um, uh, racism and talking about classism and, and, and all these kind of various sorts of things. She's talking about a lack of access that certain people would have and, and, and things like that. Things that, again, Danielle wrote about as well. Um, mm-hmm. But but she sort of took it for granted that the person who was reading her book was was cognizant of the fact that racism is real. Do you know what I'm saying? And and that that is aware of the fact that that like all the stuff that that Alison Desir wrote in her book about how certain spaces are unable to be accessed by people of color, like like Natalia or Natalie Petrozella basically took it for granted that you had already read that and you knew that that was a thing. Exactly, because you it's know, very it, it, it's it's woven in, and she actually mm-hmm. uses the comment about spaces somewhere mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah, and I wouldn't have even picked up on that had I not read right. You know, running while black. It just right. I wouldn't have even picked up on it, but it's so in your face and running on black. That's like imprinted right. in my brain right. that I see the word white spaces, and I'm like, I know exactly what she's talking yeah. about. Because because running while black was written for people who hadn't been exposed necessarily to this reality. Um, the, 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 we can the, argue on who it was written well, for. Okay, yeah, yeah, was. no, for sure. But, but, but it definitely, the, the, the purpose of it was, was to make a strong and striking argument about what the experience is of running while black in the United States. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas uh, uh, the, the, the point of Fit Nation um, was a little bit more esoteric. It was about the way that that capitalism and gender and beauty standards and all these sorts of things mess up what should be a fairly straightforward process of getting fit. Um, um, and and in doing that, she presumed that that because that's like a level ten argument, she presumed that anybody that was going to be reading the book was already at level eight. They're an academic. Yeah, that's how an academic writes, right? Right. They write right. to their peers. They don't write to their one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And so th- this felt to me like a journal article, like an extended journal article um, that that you write. Yeah, and 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 that pretty much only other academics read. Um, yeah. There was a, there was a study that came out recently that was basically about how few articles, academic articles, are actually read by other people. <laughs> Um, I mean, and so many ideas, and I, I certainly know this working in academia, but so many ideas just get recycled in academia that, that you just have, uh, you know, I'll read something that somebody at the University of Georgia wrote, and then somebody at Georgia Tech will read it, and then I'll write something, and those two guys, and that's it. That's just as far as any of the ideas, and they never find their way out into the broader world, um, and that's a real until, shame. 
somebody writes a women's health article and they keep exactly. linking to these studies. I, yeah. I, I have so many pages open on my phone right now from that article. From until, the day. Yeah, and, and honestly, until a journalist comes along. Is, yeah. right? is that a good article? Is that, is that sick or what? <laughs> so, is that sick or what that the journalist is the one no. drawing? I think it's, I think it's great. No, it, it, and, that, and that's kind of how it works is that the, the, nobody hears about a study until a journalist comes along and puts it in the newspaper. Um, and so, so we've already referred a couple of times to this women's health article, and I, I sent it to Michelle and to Eric this morning, and it basically said that that a bunch of people, when the pandemic set in and when lockdowns were happening in 2020, moved to these idyllic mountain towns, um, thinking that this beautiful setting was going to improve their outlook and and and, and increase their mental health. Um, and in fact, they feel isolated in these places and and their mental health at best is the same and at worst has actually declined. So um, I haven't read the article, but the headline is like the dark side of, you know, these rural idyllic mountain towns or whatever. Is the dark side just the isolation? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I mean, that's, that's pretty. No. OK, so no, it's, I mean, it's... The I isolation. am going to read this article, but okay, it's it, it's. I think you can get it down to three things. It's the isolation. Okay. It's the weather because typically these places are wonderful in the summer, but when the winter rolls in, and isolation's into that. But it, I was going to say isolation's a part of that because everybody leaves. <laughs> right, but they're also cold and miserable yeah. if you're yeah. not prepared for them. And then the third aspect is when you're isolated and you're miserable, what do you really need to seek? Yeah possibly mental health help, and they don't have the services. So I think those are the three takeaways I got from that article. I think those are, I, I think those are excellent takeaways. But yeah. I think it's funny, it's, and I, I'm going to tie this together with the book. So I'm glad you did this, George. One of the quotes in the article, it's, it's actually a quote of one of the people that were interviewed. It says, every health thing you'll ever read says that going outside and getting into nature is going to solve your problems. I have a, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> However, you made the comment earlier today that your physical environment influences your mental mm -hmm. being. And I, mm -hmm. we were talking about the art on the trails and right. I would say, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. One thing that I pulled out of fit nation that I thought was really, it was kind of fascinating to me was one of the arguments is about, you know, it's about gender and it's about race and what different environments are created for these different people. And you can say like um, the old gyms per se, mm -hmm. like women did not feel comfortable in the mm -hmm. sweaty gym with all the heavy weights and the clanging and the banging. So then uh, women entrepreneurs came along and said, well, we're gonna make gyms that are more um, like, like literally like flowery with carpeted floors and you know- More welcoming I, 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 to women. More welcoming to women. They looked, I think they actually said they look like living rooms. But then that furthered the stereotype of you're a housewife, you're just working out in a housewife built gym. Right. But then later on, they talked about um, uh, little girls dance classes and the mirrored walls. Mm -hmm. But then the mothers sitting off to the side, not wanting to participate. So she said, well, we're going to take away the mirrors and we're going to get the mothers involved. Mm -hmm. So they took away that environment of looking at yourself. Mm -hmm. And they and they, they were able to bring the women into it. And mm -hmm. I just thought each of these things came down to what not at least a, a, a big piece of them was the actual environment. Mm -hmm. Right. And and how that made it welcoming to somebody. But the interesting thing was it also made it unwelcomely 
unwelcoming or unacceptable to somebody else. So it's like in the in the effort to make this fitness more uh, open, to, to make the tent bigger, as George would say, right? You actually had to cordon off spaces and make those spaces more welcoming to different people. It wasn't yeah. like you could make one space yeah. that made it welcoming to everybody. There's not one tent. Right. And, right. And I, there's a lot of things in the world that are like that. And I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that, that, um, I think you're right. And, 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 and this kind of ties back a little bit to what I was saying before is that there are certain like levels of awareness that she expected people to have, um, that, that if you try to create one space that welcomes everybody, you're not going to entirely be able, you're not going to be able to do that because our society is not one big space that welcomes everybody. Right. And so, so if you try to create any sort of space, like not just a fitness space, but an educational space, like, like it's something that you should always strive to do, but you're never going to be able to entirely do it because our society just doesn't work like that. Our society is segmented and racialized and sexualized and, and gendered and all these various other things. Right. Um, And, and I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of the point of the book, or that's one of the points of the book, is to say that you can see all the segmentation in our society by looking at our history of fitness. Um, it uses fitness and the history of fitness in the United States as as a lens through which you can see all the other issues that plague us as a society. Um, and that plagues us not just in fitness, but in education, but in housing, but in all sorts of whatever the, the other things happen to be. I think ultimately that's kind of what she was going for here. Um, is that like it's just that that's not what she said she was going for in the opening, which is a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) From your your college professor, you know, Dr. Darden perspective, is that just is that like the the central tension in society that unless we were all multiracial, multigender, and accepting of all multiracial, multigender, we could never have a Boston marathon that's welcoming to everybody. So we can never have a, you know, X that's welcoming to everybody. What, what it means is that, that while we will, while we should always strive to create more inclusion, that, that it's never going to be as simple as simply opening up a space where you say that everybody is included. Um, and I don't know if that answers your question or not. Um, yes, but, but, but I, but I, I think that's the takeaway is to say that, that, that I could, if I decided tomorrow to start a group run at Kennesaw mountain near my house here, um, and I'd be like, this runs open to everybody. It wouldn't totally be open to everybody. <laughs> like it's I would have to, I would, I would have to, to, to well, take steps. battlefield from the, the war. Of <laughs> it's a civil war battlefield. No, you're totally right. Like, like I would have to take like bona fide steps and and uh, multiple intentional practices and have uh, uh, several failures over the course of many months before I even began to build a space that was an inclusive space. Yeah. Um, that that you simply don't you, you don't get there just by saying everybody's invited. It's open to everybody. Um, and I think really and truly, um, if one of the big takeaways, if I combine running while black with this book and, and even kind of cycling back to let's get physical from last year, one of my big takeaways 
one of my macro takeaways from all of this is that the idea that running is open to everybody, that that it's the most democratic sport because anybody can do it, that's actually not really true. Um, and 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 I think that's an important thing, and I, and I think that that's important for runners to recognize that that we like to say it's the most democratic sport there is, and anybody can do it, and the roads are always open, and 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 all that sort of thing. Um, and and would that that were true, but it's just not quite the reality. So is it not the most democratic sport there is, or is it not as democratic as people think it is? Those the are latter. two different statements. Th okay. th thank the you latter. The latter. Yes, the latter. Thank I, you for that. I feel that. like it's it's running a it's running. I love it. it's running far out ahead of other sports and mm. being very accessible. Mm -hmm. Accessible. So. Mm. Point taken. Point taken. Yes. Thank you for okay, that clarification. So, I think that's important. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say let's let's close this conversation about the book out. But right. before we do that, um, I'm going to give the two of you a, a would you rather. <laughs> this, this is, is like so your new favorite quiz, thing. By the way. It is, it is like it your is new my, favorite thing. My, yeah, it's, yeah. As soon as you said, I'm going to give you, uh, Michelle panicked a little bit. Her heart sank. Yes. I'm like, what size lugs is he going to ask about which shoe and which model? And I don't know if I'm up to date on the 2023 I gonna, trail gonna, shoes. I figured he was going to ask us kidding. like some factoid that was shared in the uh, on page 157 of the book. I'm um, here for would you rather. Let's do it. All right. Nice so, way to finish, Eric. So I'll just ask you both the same question. It's um, Michelle, would you rather suggest one of your running friends read this book or <laughs> run the worst workout that George has ever given you? I would 100% run the worst workout that George has ever given me. One, because I've survived it once so I can survive it again. And two, because as bad as it is, it probably made me better. <laughs> Wow. There's nothing about this book. That is an excellent answer, Michelle. <laughs> that is an easy. I'm unimpressed, nice. Eric. This is not. This is this <laughs> and, is so, so easy. George, Let's go. Similar question to you, George. Would you rather recommend this book to one of your non-academic friends, or listen to Michelle complain about the white <laughs> pair of shoes that she got dirty on a run? You uh, said we were getting the same question. <laughs> as soon as you said would you rather read this book or recommend this book i i knew what was coming next was going to be something inauthentic i knew it was going to be would you rather read this book or stab out both of your eyes with hot pokers <laughs> so so michelle i want you to realize what george just did he drew he drew a parallel line between listening to you complain about getting your white shoes dirty and stabbing his Stab eyes. eyes out actually oh. I, i'll be i'll be honest with you that's not a good uh that's not a good option for me either i would actually enjoy hearing michelle not enjoy i would rather hear michelle complain <laughs> about getting her beautiful white shoes a little bit dirty because my love language is making fun of people in an increasing way until I ultimately have to apologize. And so if Michelle buys a bright white pair of shoes and then complains that they're getting dirty, that is such an opening. I mean, <laughs> that, that would give I me like a year's just, worth of material. My shoes are coming in like three days and it's just- Wait, did you actually to, order them? Of course. Of course you did. So I go to such great lengths and the worst is like, if I take them and I want to run on Columns Drive, but I forget to drive to Columns Drive and I drive to the other side, they're invariably going to get dirty because I have to run a mile and a half on gravel. Yeah. And then I've ruined the shoes. You haven't ruined the shoes. You've just gotten <laughs> them dirty. <laughs> 
I know. And also like if there's that's, puddles, that, it's that's something the about issue, Michelle. <laughs> it's something the about shoes my aren't ruined solely because they're dirty. <laughs> Even if I don't have to do that, something about the way my foot strikes, the front of the toe always gets like black on it. It's just it's hard to keep them clean, guys. I just I really like the way they look out of the box, but I'm not buying them for fashion reasons. So it's just it's tough for me. Sorry. Here we go again. <laughs> Cannot wait. This is going to be so exciting. I'm already anticipating that first text but, from Michelle complaining about but, how her all white shoes have gotten to be, dirty. To be fair. I'm already I, anticipating all of the sarcastic <laughs> remarks from you. But, and so you need to apologize. To be fair, I do this with even if the shoes are colored. I don't like when they get dirty. That's true. Okay, That's true. So, it's, it's only going to be worse, though, the fact <laughs> that the shoes have nary a color on them, but white. <laughs> I think they're so pretty. Okay. So I agree. They'll be pretty for a good George, 100 feet of your first run. George, if I ever buy a pair of shoes and I say I bought them because they were so pretty, I want you to shoot me so, somewhere where it will kill I don't understand. When you have 10 color choices these days on a pair of shoes, like what are you supposed to choose from if you don't choose the pretty ones? What are your options? Like, don't you want the prettiest, the color that looks the best to you? I, want I mean, why do they make so many colors? I, I, so I, pick I, the one that looks I, the best. I agree with that to a degree. Like, I agree with it that if all of them are exactly the same and, and you're trying to decide a particular colorway and they all cost the same and everything else, yeah, I'll make a decision based on color. When I read the book Kixology a couple of years ago, one of my big takeaways was how much the way a shoe looks has mattered to, to consumers over the course of the past 25 years of running shoes. Um, he talked about that over and over and over and over again. And I've thought more about that since I read it. And I think he's totally right. Um, as we are currently demonstrating <laughs> for everybody but Eric. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that I am not influenced all at all by the color of a pair of shoes. The only shoes that I think I have ever said I'm not buying those shoes because of their color are those darn pink uh, Saucony. Uh, the endorphin edge? Yeah, I was not buying that shoe. I was really uh, hoping that but, you guys but, would get but those you in pink. But you still bought you still bought the endorphin edge though. You still bought, bought the two edge. Pairs. Yeah. 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 And the black. You guys yeah. have blue yeah. and My black. Point I, is, I've 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 never looked at a pair of shoes that I wanted and said, but they're just too ugly. I've never yeah, done that's that. obvious. I, I've 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 made thanks, buddy. I've made a color <laughs> choice before. I've been like, I'm gonna choose these black ones over these pink ones, or vice versa. Um, but I've never like looked at a pair of shoes and been like, Oh, I'd really like to try those, but they're just too ugly. I've never done that. I think my point is I would not buy a color as opposed to buying a specific color. Okay. That's, it's like, it, I, has, I look it, has, it has a negative impact on your purchase rather than a positive one. Yeah. Got it. I don't yeah. know, Eric. I think the pink shoes would look really good on you. So I think, you know, you should just buy the pink shoes and get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, all right. We're, and a shortened quarter here. And so I am making an executive decision that we are reading Des Linden's new book for this quarter. Michelle, oh, it's has so good. Michelle has already read it. And at one point she referred to it as a book of the week rather than a book of the quarter um, because uh, because it is such an easy and fast read. And so, like I said, I am making the choice that choosing to run is going to be our second quarter book here um, that we are going to start reading more than halfway through the second quarter. <laughs> I'm excited. I didn't know you were going to do that. I think that's a great choice and a, and a great way to keep our book of the quarter uh, on track. Because this you. is this is super um, 
you can read it or listen to it really, really pretty quickly. So We're it's definitely a page turner. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, I actually only listened to it. So maybe I'll buy it. Yay. There you go. <laughs> Double support for Des. Right yeah, on. Exactly. Eric, thanks for being here talking about the book and everything else, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I always enjoy this. Sorry, I haven't been available for the podcast lately. And I really appreciate this time with both of you. No need to apologize, man. We've missed you. Uh, Michelle, thanks for being here. Next time we meet, I'll have my new white shoes. <laughs> oh, it's going to be they're great. They're already going to be dirty. They're, they're already going to be dirty. <laughs>